Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, everybody. Ethan here. Mike here. And welcome to the Blue Note Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things blues. It's episode number 13. Yeah, that's right. It's the Bill Guerin episode. Surprisingly enough, there's actually only been eight blues players who have ever worn the number 13. That's it. And most of them did not perform very well. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to give a quick shout out here to Billy Guerin. He was 36 years old whenever he played with the blues, wearing here number 13, 28 goals, 47 points in 61 games, including six game-winning goals. So, you know, he's doing a hell of a job here up in Minnesota. And I just want to really give a quick shout-out here to him, episode number 13. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into what Minnesota did. They've pretty much made the biggest move as we go around the Central Division here soon. Uh, but Bill Guerin, great player, won a cup in Pittsburgh. Um, really good. Didn't do much with the Blues, like you said. Didn't play very much, but 28 goals is – Pretty good. And you had some other guys like Ray Ferraro and a lot of those guys that barely played any games for the Blues. Kyle Clifford. Um, Yeah, most recently Kyle Clifford. So, yeah, maybe the Blues will acquire somebody this summer that wears number 13. Who knows? But uh, all right, let's get into it. Before we get into it, um, I'd like to thank the listeners and uh, wish everyone a happy Independence Day to all of our friends in the United States who are listening to the podcast. Uh, Just hit that subscribe button. It's a little plus button you'll see on the pages of any podcast platform that you find us on. So you don't miss a single show. You can give us a five-star rating if you love what we're doing. Leave us a comment. Get involved with the conversation on Twitter over at TBN Pod and share the podcast on social media so other Blues fans can find us as well. Uh, we're very thrilled with, with the numbers we got in the last episode, number 12. Uh, Stephen Ground of the 2G1C podcast co-hosting for me. I was out last week, so that was a great job by him to help us out. And uh, yeah, very thrilled with, with episode 12. But before we get into it, let's just, you know, thank him for that. And now we get into episode 13. And uh, let's take a trip around the Central Division, which there's been some things going on with a few teams, some teams not doing anything. I think the teams that are on the bottom of the board when it comes to the Central are the ones that are a little bit quiet before the draft. They got to prepare for the draft. You know, one of those teams is the Chicago Blackhawks who very sadly don't have their, their first round pick. That's, that's a shame, but uh, a team like Arizona, a little bit different for them, but neither of those teams have done anything, but the Colorado avalanche have. Yeah. As we broke it here on the podcast last week, um, you know, they are of course the Stanley cup winners, huge congratulations here to them. I mean, like in all sincerity, all the huge congratulations going across the board here, epic, epic season, you know, in their first month, this, this is shocking whenever I looked at this. Their first month, the month of October, the Avs were four and four. You know, if you remember here looking back at this, there were a lot of people who were kind of worried here about the Avalanche throughout that first month. But then the calendar flipped to November. And after that, the team went 52, 15, and seven. That's a 750 winning percentage. For frame of reference here, only four teams finished with a record above 750. I'm sorry, for 700 throughout the entire season. The Florida Panthers were 744 here on the season. The Avs at 726, the Hurricanes at 707, and the Leafs at 701. So, again, 
sincere congratulations here to just an amazing team, an amazing job here by Joe Sackick on a, assembling here this team, the performance here that they all had. Congratulations here to the Stanley Cup winners. Yeah, I mean, they don't they don't appear to have that much respect for the cup, given that they've dented it about five or six times, but uh, <laughs> whatever. A good old time. Be, I, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think they had some early season injury issues, if I remember correctly. Um, I know the Blues beat them in the first game of the season. I want to say McKinnon and maybe one of the other top liners was out in that game, but I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, either way, we knew how good this team was. I think this is a long time coming that they would win one eventually and they could win more who knows but uh, yeah they were dominant i didn't i just think tampa ran out of gas uh late because the the final game of the series tampa came flying out and they Mm -hmm. were all over them they uh got after it scored the first and then colorado kind of completely dominated the game from there on out so a well-deserved cup you go 16 and 4 that's as legit as it gets pretty much not going to see much better than that uh but it, it is nice that the Blues were able to beat them twice and the Blues were very, very close to forcing a game seven against them if they didn't kind of crumble late in the third period. But that's what the great teams do and the Avalanche were able to capitalize on that in every single situation possible. So right. uh, congrats to them. All right, let's do the Dallas Stars. Yeah, they signed a trio of one-year two-way contracts here for Riley Tuft, Ryan Shea, and Joseph Seconi. Um, I really apologize if I uh, you know, butchered that last name here, but Sekoni is the uh, abbreviation that they give me, so that's what I'm going with. Um, they also extended veteran goaltender Scott Wedgwood here to a two-year extension worth $1 million per season. He's going to likely serve here as the backup to Jake Ottinger here next season. Wedgwood here actually went 3-1-3 and in eight appearances last season with a 3.04 goals against average and a 9.13 save percentage here with Dallas. So not a bad option here for them to be able to rely here upon with uh, Jake Ottinger. And, of course, Otter here still looking for his next contract at this point. But, boy, oh, boy. Um, I think they've got something very interested, at least in Jake Ottinger. Um, again, Scott Wedgwood here was their trade line, trade deadline acquisition, and he will be um, with the Dallas Stars here for about the next two seasons. Yeah, I'm not sure any team in the league is at as weird of a goaltending situation as the Stars in the last three or four seasons because you start mm-hmm. 2019, you have Bishop, get you to the second round, game seven, almost stole it against the Blues. And then you get to the Stanley Cup final in 2020 with Hudobin. And then you sign Holtby. He doesn't really do much for you. Now you finally bring Ottendrup, who was a 2017 first-round pick, I believe. I think he was in the Robert Robert Thomas draft, if I remember correctly. Um, So you finally get him, and he's the real deal. Like We saw that against Calgary, almost stole that series. He's legit. Wedgwood is a solid backup. I don't think Wedgwood's going to play very much if Ottinger's healthy. Uh, but this has just been very weird, the goaltending situation in Dallas over yeah. the last few seasons, as has the coaching situation. Because obviously the whole Montgomery thing, what he went through, he gets let go, and they bring in Rick Bonus. They had a lot of success with him. Now he gets let go. Yep. Um, and then they bring in uh, Pete DeBoer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that who they yep. hired? Yeah. Yep. There's so many different coaching changes. It's getting ridiculous at this there's, point. There's a lot, especially just in the central division. And yes, Ottinger here, he was the 2017 26 overall draft pick here by the Stars. Yeah. So now, do the Sharks, did they fill their opening or did they just, because they just fired uh, Bob Bugner? 
Um, I don't believe they've hired anybody here just as of yet, but I could be wrong. Like you said, there's been a slew of hirings here within the, the NHL just within like the last week. And it just, it's remarkable. That's a weird firing because they didn't really give him much to work with in San Jose. I know they've been pretty, you know, brutal his three seasons there, but that is odd. Yeah. Um, but maybe, I guess if you make that move, you kind of expect that you're going to be in a situation where you, you like somebody who's out there since everything mm-hmm. else is filled. So you can get whoever you want. I don't know. That's weird. Uh, let's do the biggest one, which is the Minnesota wild and what they did last week oh boy yep they uh they're officially under the cap crunch here at this point so they traded kevin fiala to the los angeles kings for the 19th overall draft pick and prospect brock faber as they enter um, here again in that cap crunch couple of seasons as a result of buying out the contracts here of zach parisi and ryan Suter. um Boy, it's, it's going to be rough here for them. You know, this season, it's going to be just over $12 million in dead cap space. And then the following two seasons here at $14 million. We're going to be talking to um, somebody here with the Minnesota Wild here about this and, and you know, these, up, these upcoming couple of seasons. But boy, oh boy, um, it's going to be interesting to see what the Wild are able to do here with this. Um, but I do like their acquisition. I like the trade. There's not much that they're going to be able to get here with a guy you know, who's an RFA at that point, you know, but 19th overall, I think, especially in this draft, they're going to be able to get hopefully something, you know, they, they may end up packaging it here together with something else in addition to it, but it's not too bad here for them. Not too bad. I think, I don't know if I define my take on this trade as strong, but I honestly don't like this trade at all for Minnesota. Now I really? know, I know that they needed to, do something with their salary cap issues. Now the suitor and Parisi things, their, their problem, like it's their yeah. fault. Yeah. I guess I don't think they really had to do it, at least for suitor. I don't think you had to buy him out. I think he could have contributed, especially with the like Kulikov and Goligoski did nothing for them in the playoffs last year. I think suitor could have done more. Of course, the cap number was pretty high, of course, but uh, I just 19th overall pick, you don't know what you're going to get there. That's fine. You'll probably find somebody. I don't think favor is going to be that good. Um, that's just what I think of him. I don't think he projects as, as all that much. And Fiala is a bona fide scorer and he didn't play with Kaprizov that much. So you can't use that against him. And I just think it's a perfect, I think I, I obviously like this trade a lot more for LA than I hate it for Minnesota, but I don't love it for Minnesota. I just don't think that, I don't think that's enough for a guy like Fiala. I know he didn't do anything in the playoffs and he was, he's kind of underperformed in the playoffs in some regard. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he got enough. I don't think Favor is the prospect that some people think he is. And I don't think the 19th overall pick is – it's obviously not a sure thing. Uh, and you're not going to get a guy there that's going to be ready within the next year or two probably. No. No, but he's – he's Fiala yeah. is a stud. And the Kings extension, it's always going to be viewed as questionable when the numbers are that big. But I really like this for L.A. because he, think about this. He, there's no shortage of centers for him to play with there, whether it's no. Kopitar or Deneau or eventually Byfield or Turcotte, they have the centers for a guy like Fiala. So I think he's a great fit there. Yeah. I don't think Minnesota got enough, but it's an understanding move given the salary cap situation for them and how bad it's going to be with the way that you laid it out. It's going to be bad. That's why them getting out of the first round last season was pretty much a must. And they 
couldn't do it. Now, the good thing for them is that they have five picks in the first three rounds, so you can figure that out. They got the Canucks uh, second-round pick, which is 47th. That was in the uh, – let's see. That was in the – when uh, Arizona got Vancouver's 47th pick in the OEL and Garland trade. Mm-hmm. and then Jack McBain got traded from Minnesota to Arizona for that pick. So they have 47. They have, uh, let's see, 47. Trying to find the other pick here in the second round. 47, and it's not even telling me, compensatory pick, whatever. Then they have 19, and then they have 24. So they got an opportunity to get some prospects in that pool, but you look at their cap space right now, it's 6.5 mil, so – you probably weren't going to re-sign Fiala anyway, but let's think about this for a second. Other than Kaprizov, you have Zuccarello, who was very good and is very good with Kaprizov, six mil, next two seasons. Uh, he's aging very fast, <laughs> yep. very quickly. Eric Sinek, 5.25 mil. You're going to keep him. My question is, what if you mix things up and you trade a Felino or a Greenway to keep somebody like Fiala because do you think the Felino and Greenway are going to be as good as Fiala is going to be for that long? That's $3 million more you could have freed up. And then think about their defensive core. How do you, how do you justify keeping Spurgeon, Dumba and Brodeen right now all together? That right there is 19.5 mil in their cap. That's three mm-hmm. defensemen and none of them are really world beaters by any stretch. That's right. an issue I think the Blues are going to eventually run into with Falk, Krug, and Pareko. That's why I don't think that they're going to be able to as easily make a move as people think. Yeah. So I just think that they probably weren't going to re-sign Fiala, uh, but I still don't think he got enough. And I think the reason they didn't get enough is probably because of the playoff performance, of the situation of L.A. knowing that Minnesota is in this situation where they have to trade him. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think favor and a first is enough. I could be wrong. I just don't love the trade for them. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, they definitely would have needed to trade two to three guys in order to be able to make the salary work for them here moving forward, you know, or be able to sort of backload the contract, you know, whatever that was going to end up being. I mean, they may have been able to find something to be able to do here for it, but it definitely was not going to be easier for them. So, you know, it was definitely tough, I think, for the Wild to move on from a guy like Kevin Fiala. As a Blues fan, I'm saying, go on, please get out yep. of here at that point. So I don't mind that. But, yeah, for Minnesota fans, I'm sure that was a tough swallow. And I I do agree, you know, getting back what they got back probably wasn't enough. I mean, it's probably the same thing, you know, the, uh, the New York Rangers fans here were thinking Buchnevich here was leaving, and then they get back Sammy Blay. The thing – the other thing is, like – Think about a team like L.A., how many young players they have that are ready to play that you mm-hmm. could have gotten at 800,000. Like, yeah. that's that's the issue here. Like, I, I know that they weren't going to move on from Byfield or Kaliev in this trade, but Rasmus Kupari, I don't think that's out of the equation to trade for him. Or what if you trade for one of their lower-tier, younger RFAs like Gabriel Velarde or, um, you know, Leah Sanderson's bounced around the NHL? Yeah. So maybe a younger player who's actually ready to play. I don't think Favors mm-hmm. is going to be ready to play for a little bit. No. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think he projects as being as good as a lot of people think he might have been when he first was drafted. Now, I, he kind of screams like really good college player, 
not as good in the NHL to me. I could be wrong, but I just think that there was different avenues for them to go about this, but I think getting it done as quickly as possible is the right move by Garen. So uh, I think that that's fine. So we'll see. Um, let's do Nashville now who kind of did a little something today that was relevant to the blues. Yeah. They acquired 33 year old defenseman, Ryan McDonough for defenseman, Philip Myers and prospect forward grant mismatch, uh, mismatch. Should I say, um, first of all, one of the best hockey names I've ever heard in my entire life, grant mismatch. I've, the only reason why I knew of who he was was due to a dynasty league that I used to be in. Other than that, I would have been looking at this trade saying there's no way in the world that there's a guy named Grant Mismash. And it's just, it just blows my mind. I, for one, am extremely happy that it's Nashville that takes on this contract because it's, it's way too much money here at this point in excess of $6 million here at this point. Um, what was it? Three, four more years. Four. Four more years here so left on it, over $6 million. He can still play top four, even top pairing left side defense at this point. It's great, but boy, that's a big old contract to be able to have at 33 years old. And a full no trade clause. So even if the Blues wanted to try and move out here from underneath of it, he owns the Blues at that point. So I wanted to stay away from that thing with a 39 and a half foot pole. And I'm so glad that the blues stayed away here from it. And if it's Nashville that takes on that contract, good. Let them, let them take on that contract. I would agree. Um, we had a very interesting chat about this whole McDonough thing in the blues hockey writers chat. Yeah, I, I wrote an article the day before, two days ago, I think, that was saying yeah. three reasons the Blues shouldn't trade for McDonough. Mm -hmm. Contract's a big deal. Uh, I still think he's a really, really good player. Sure. Uh, yeah, right now. His, his production has not been very good in the regular season over the last few seasons. But um, I think he would have been a great fit from a player perspective. But like you said, four years left, he'll be 37 when that deal's done. 6.75 mil. I think for Nashville, this is just a uh, – kind of a signal that they want to win um, because you got to re-sign Forsberg or there's really no point in this deal. And right now their cap space is 18.1 million. I think the issue with Forsberg is the, I think it is it the term. Probably it's, the term. It's always the term with these guys. He seems like yeah. I'd give him an eight year deal. If you're trying to win, I think he'll be fine at eight years. Now the other problem that you run into is, you got Duchesne for four more years and Johansson for three more years at eight mil a piece. So if you could do eight years and not have to give Forsberg a ton, that'd be fine for them. But I think if you don't re-sign Forsberg, then this move seems kind of dumb to me. Yeah. Well, and the thing from what I'm gathering, and I could be off here on this, I think that it's Nashville that wants term. And I don't know if Forsberg wants term here at this point you know he wants the money but i think that he is very skeptical about signing long term with nashville again i could be off on that but from everything that i've been reading david Poyle is the one who wants to sign him eight years he wants to give him the term he wants to give him the money i don't think that it's forsberg that wants to sign long term in nashville so again i could be off on that 
But looking over at, you know, some of these different contracts of what is happening here in Nashville, he's 27. If I'm him, I am wanting to be able to line myself up with Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson as they've got roughly three more seasons. You know, you've got Matt Duchesne, who's got four more. But other than that, there's not a lot of certainty here at this point. So if I give myself three more seasons, that's going to put me at about 30 to 31 years old where I can really hit the open market. So I think term, maybe Nashville is wanting to commit and say, hey, we want a long-term relationship here. Please take my pin. And I think Forsberg is the one who's saying, "Mm, let's talk again here in a couple of years and let's see what's happening because I may want to be able to sign elsewhere and find something a little bit better of something that I can be able to maybe be able to win a cup with. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the seat is pretty hot for David Poyle and Nashville, who's been there for about a billion years. Um, I think the asking price for Forsberg is in the low eights. Yeah. Which if you're him, you just had 42 goals you had 26 goals in 14, 15. You had 33 and 15, 16, 31 and 16, 17, 26 and 17, 18, 28 and 18, 19, 21 in uh, 1920. 84 points last season, 42 goals. He deserves a big payday. And oh, you yeah. can't be making less than Duchesne or Johansson because Johansson has pretty much been pretty bad for that contract for both of them. Three seasons now, maybe both four of them. seasons. Yep. And Duchesne last season was very good, but, you know, he hasn't looked great. He had 13 points in 34 games uh, in 2020-21. He did have 86 points last year, but three seasons of that contract not looking great. No. Um, But, yeah, Forsberg should get paid. And if you're a Blues fan, like you said, you definitely don't want him there. So, no. But this move signals to me that they got to just – it feels like a last-minute thing. They'll probably get it done. I would guess eight years, 8.5 mil. If not eight years, then six years or seven years. I think Nashville is going to try to get that up as much as possible, but I don't think mm-hmm. it'll be more than what Yossi's, uh, Roman Yossi's making. So we'll see what happens there. The McDonough move, though, I think signals to me that they're wanting to win. Yeah. And we'll see. Uh, okay, final team, the Winnipeg Jets. They found their new bench boss, former Dallas Stars head coach, Rick Bonus, new head coach here over there. It's going to be interesting to see what Rick Bonus is going to be able to bring. You know, I think he's going to be able to really help tighten up that defensive structure here quite a bit. But boy, they still have a lot of pieces that they get able to figure out, especially here at their forward core. Um, here, like we alluded to in the last podcast, you know, they've still got Kyle Connor, they've still got Mark Shifley, you know, they've still got plenty of these guys. But boy, oh boy, they've got so many different question marks, so many different underperforming players. You always can be able to compete here with a guy like Connor Hellebuck. It's uh, Rick bonus is a good hire. I think he's the right hire here at this point, but they just have a lot of internal things that they need to be able to address here first and foremost. So I, I hope that it's a guy like Rick bonus who can be able to help continue to progress this team and can keep helping moving this team here along. Because again, like I alluded to here last week with, uh, with Steven was I, I have the utmost respect for Winnipeg. They're, they're, the Jets, their fans, like I, I have no complaints here about them. And their team especially just seems like that they're completely upbeat, world-class. And I, I 
just hope that you can be able to see potentially one day a cup come here to Winnipeg again. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, this this just feels like just looking at this move, this is like one of the all time recycling summers in the NHL. Like yeah. Boston hires Jim Montgomery, who I think deserves deserves it. We'll talk about oh, that yes. soon. Yeah. Um, Chicago did go with Luke Richardson, who hasn't been an NHL coach. Dallas goes with Pete DeBoer. Uh, Red Wings go with Derek Lalonde, who is a Tampa guy. So that one isn't a recycle. But then you have Florida going with Paul Maurice. You have Philly going with Tortorella. You have Vegas going with Bruce Cassidy. It's just like so much recycling. And then you have the ones that aren't Lane Lambert for New York. Um, like I said, uh, Lalonde for the Red Wings and then Richardson for the Blackhawks and Woodcroft for the Oilers. But mm. a lot of recycling done. And yeah. I think I'm glad that we aren't likely to see Mike Van Ryan or Steve Ock get a job, but those guys definitely deserve a shot, I think, and I think it's eventually coming. The big one left really is San Jose. I don't know what they're going to do. I wouldn't be that surprised if they did hire one of the Blues assistants, but – Please don't say that. I don't think it's going to happen. It wouldn't surprise – I just don't know what, like – First of all, firing him on July 1st, like that seems extremely late when you've been out of it forever. Mm -hmm. So that's weird. So that's what makes me think like they have a guy that they want. Who's that guy is the big question. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head that makes any sense for a guy that like, if you like, is it Andrew Brunette who got who Florida, he he was uh, Florida's interim. I mean, Mm -hmm. That's kind of weird. I don't know if I'd just fire my coach in July for Andrew Burnett. Yeah, there's there's not a really, in my opinion, there's not a lot of really good, solid answers. There's been a couple of guys, and I can't come up with any of them here like off the top of my head, that I've been hearing um, just through a couple of different other podcasts here through um, like the Swedish elite leagues and, and whatnot, just some guys potentially coming here overseas. But it's it just weird. It's weird timing. It, I don't know. It's it's San Jose. I'm I'm not putting a whole heck of a lot of stock into it. Yeah. Uh, what I find absurd is that some of these teams actually kept their coaches. Is is like New Jersey. Lindy Ruff has shown nothing there. Like they're they've been terrible. They should not have been as bad as they were last season. So that's kind of just looking at the entire league. But it's very yeah. odd to me that uh, that we see a guy fired on July first. After, with a team that was that bad. So that's very weird to me, but uh, we'll move on from that. Uh, we got some blues updates. I believe uh, Doug Armstrong spoke with the media earlier this week. Yep. For the most part, I don't think you take much away from what he says because we all know he's a, he's a guy that keeps the cards close to the vest. He's not going to give you much, uh, but he did give us a few interesting things to talk about, including one very unfortunate update. Yeah, Alexei Toropchenko, who we were penciling in for about a third-line role here this season, you know, at very least a fourth-line role. He's going to be out until roughly early December with shoulder surgery. And I just uh, – did anybody move up the death chart higher and faster than Alexei Toropchenko? I mean, he turned 23 here on June 25th. He played in 28 regular season games, and including – all 12 playoff contests. He scored twice in the regular season, two assists in the postseason. So his offensive production 
that's not a huge concern to me. It's, it's just not. Um, he's got the size, the speed, the physicality. If he can develop a little bit more of a scoring touch, I mean, I would love it. And I think the Blues would really have themselves something there. But this is really a guy that, boy, that's, that's a rough one. And they did say that they had another guy that needed to be able to have some, quote, tidy up surgery um, with Nathan Walker and his wrist. But to his knowledge, Torochenko is the only player who is going to be expected to miss time once training camp starts. So that's at least good news that you will be able to see Nathan Walker back here for training camp and ready to, to start the season. Yeah, this is an interesting situation for a lot of depth guys like Joshua and Brown and uh, Walker. It makes me think that the idea, because I am going to be doing a uh, eight-step plan for a perfect offseason for the Blues article on the hockeywriters.com, and one of those things in there is I think that signing a fourth, like a bona fide veteran fourth-line center makes a ton of sense. And we sure. talked about it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bozak is the guy per se, but I think somebody like a, a Nick Bugstad or – or somebody like that could be a very solid addition just because as good as Joshua's been in terms of what you want from him, I I don't think that I would love him being the fourth line center every night. Like I think you need somebody there and then make the rest of those guys compete for their jobs. Walker, Brown, Joshua, all those guys. Then Torpchenko, I think unless the fourth line is so good that you can't break it up, Torpchenko should be right in there when he's back. Uh, he's earned that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you never want to be able to see injury be a good thing, but I think in this case, it could present a good thing for a guy like Jake neighbors yep. who should be competing and should be able to make the blues starting roster here this season. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what is going to be able to happen here from this. And the fact that they're going to not have a guy like Torbchenko, but man, it's he's he's going to be missed. He's definitely going to be missed. I wonder if it makes them rethink trading a guy like Barbashev because if you trade Barbashev, do you trust somebody like Neighbors? If you don't pick anybody else up, if, do you trust somebody mm-hmm. like Neighbors? You just throw him onto the third line, which I'm totally fine with because I think if he's going to play, you can't be having him play seven or eight minutes a night. You took him in the first yeah. round; he's got to be playing at least twelve, I would think. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if it makes them rethink that. Maybe I know it's only December, so that's what. Probably two and a half months of the season. Worst case, he comes back in the new year. That's three months. It's not that many games, even though I believe they're going back to a much earlier October start this season, which I think is good for the league. Mm -hmm. But um, we'll see. But Torbchenko definitely earned a spot when he's healthy. So that's that's the good thing for him. And hopefully there's no complications with the surgery because I think if the article I read is correct, that it's similar to the Tarasenko surgery. In terms of in terms of what they're doing, so yeah, it's a bit of a concern with that. Uh, but I think he'll be just fine. He's a different player than Tarasenko too. That's another thing. He's much bigger, so I think mm-hmm. he can kind of avoid some of the things that other players can't when they're smaller. But I don't know. Uh, Hopefully, he asked Tarasenko who he went through for all of his surgeries and said, uh, "We're not going with that guy." Yeah, you would think so. Uh, moving right along. Yeah, they also said, um, you know, there's no updates here regarding the team's unrestricted free agents here at this time. We would have loved to have heard something a little bit more, at least regarding David Perron. But like you said, he likes to keep his cards a little bit closer to the chest. 
Um, you know, I'm not really expecting much here from Tyler Bozak. I'm not really expecting much here from Billy Huso. You know, these guys are all ones that we're expecting able to move right along. But David Perron was one that we're hoping to hear a little bit more from. But again, not surprising here at this point. Yeah, I know that I know that Armstrong really likes Billy Huso. I just don't think that's going to happen um, unless we're way off on what he actually is on the on the open market. I don't see how there's any way that get, that happens for Bozak. I think if he's not signing a one year here or somewhere else, you got to think he hangs him up. Um, Letty, I think, is a guy you let hit the open market. And if an offer for him is too strong. For you to match, I think you let them go and then you explore other options. Uh, I wouldn't be that surprised if the Blues do make somewhat of a significant move in and around the draft. Mm -hmm. Because last season, right before the draft, they make the Buchnevich trade. And I believe it was Steven's article from earlier this week on the hockeywriters.com that stated pretty much there's no reason to wait to make some of these moves. Like, you got to get after it. And I think Armstrong is going to do that if he wants to – improve in any way now the biggest issue is the scandella deal but i believe there is a date for when you have to be um under you have to be under the salary cap or within that like i don't think that i think you can go over the cap during the summer and then there's a certain date where you have to be under i think yeah yeah it's usually i believe about plus 10 percent here at that point you know i think they give you a little bit of flexibility at that point but um you know and and as we've seen in the past Armstrong tends to be that guy who really wants to be aggressive with some of these trades and wants to get stuff addressed, especially, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, number of different co- conversations here, especially before like the trade for Shen, um, the Buchnevich trade, you know, you've seen him really pushing and, and having these side conversations with general managers here, especially at the draft. And so many different of these beat writers are looking around and saying, um, Armstrong just went off with this guy. Armstrong just went off with that guy. He's on the phone. He's doing this. So I don't think it's Armstrong that's necessarily the issue. And I think it's the other general managers who may be kind of dragging their feet a little bit and trying to see if they can potentially squeeze something else out here of it or, or anything else at that point. But yeah, I agree. I mean, sooner rather than later, here's going to be the best thing, but it's it's going to be the other guys because, of course, you know, you need two to tango here at this point. So, Well, I also think that, you know, my philosophy, anytime you could trade with Chuck Fletcher and the Philadelphia Flyers, you do it. Do it. Uh, so Provorov or Sanheim would be perfect because you're probably giving up nothing because that's how they operate over there, which they've probably had the most insane offseason already, uh, especially, I mean, what a circus. Oh, you, got, you got a terrible GM. You got – a head coach with, I mean, whatever Tortorella is at this point. Yeah. I think, I think we know how insane that could get. And you're telling me that Johnny Goudreau is going to want to play there. I don't care where he's from. I don't care how good him and Kevin Hayes are as friends. That just, yeah. that's a total circus. And to cap it off, you have, like I said, you have the worst GM in the league. Yeah. It's and unbelievable. for some people like who may have not been able to follow here at this point, it's, been one week into the offseason ryan ellis who was supposed to be essentially their number one defenseman has not made any strides in his rehab or his recovery i especially don't like that because i have him in a dynasty league but you know that's neither here nor there joel Farabee is out for three to four months with back with a back injury their most promising goaltending prospect ivan fedidov is being forced to go to war and is having some military issues here with the russian government 
and it's been one week. It's yeah. been one week at this point. And so, you know, I even reached out to a couple of the, the writers here over there and just asked them, you know, what do they have in a guy like Provorov? Because with it being the Eastern Conference, like I don't really watch that as much. I don't really watch the Flyers as closely. And so I just wanted to, be able to ask them, what are they seeing in this guy? And so what they did say was that the problem certainly has something to do with how they haven't gotten him an adequate partner, which is not his fault. And that's completely fair. When he was paired up with Ryan Ellis, he looked really good. So he came out to play these top minutes, but again, he is better to be paired with a guy like Matt Niskanen or Ryan Ellis, that veteran defenseman. He hasn't been an elite defenseman as the organization has envisioned he could be when they drafted him, and they seem to think that a change of scenery would benefit him. So the question that I posed was, has he reached a performance ceiling or was it simply a systematic ceiling here more than anything? Because those are two very, very different questions. So the Blues, who have been linked to a guy like Provorov, would be a very good fit here. And I think on paper would be able to match along with a guy like Colton Pareko, veteran defenseman, plays a very sound game, can be able to feed Ivan Provorov here the puck. Boom, you can be able to put some pucks here in the back and then be able to set up some great plays here um, between he and then another line here with Tory Krug. I think he could be able to work. But then again, we thought that a guy like Tory Krug would be able to really match well with a guy like Colton Pareko, and it just never panned out. Um, so it just it really just depends. You know, you can be able to do all the planning here in the world. Again, if you think that it's a systematic change, great. You can be able to make that change. But if it's his actual career performance ceiling, there's nothing you can be able to do about that. And so you have to be very, very cautious when you're tr- making these trades. And especially with a guy like Ivan Provorov, who you think that it may just be a poor situation in Philly, then comes to a little bit of a better system here in St. Louis. Is it going to work? And that's that's always the the double-edged sword here with the trade. Yeah. Um, I just think that you probably get Provorov for way less than what you think because of the guy who's uh, running the show there. Um, so that would be the idea there. Like you said, I think he'd be a great fit. Yeah. Um, but there's options out there for sure. So we'll see if they can figure that out. Uh, but like I said earlier, Jim Montgomery is out the door. Not surprising, well-deserved, but uh, the yeah. Blues did name a replacement for him as well. Yeah. They ended up signing, um, they ended up bringing in Craig McTavish here as his replacement. Um, Armstrong here in his press conference here did say that he likes the process here with Craig Berube of identifying people that they may want to end up joining their staff. Craig McTavish's name was at the top of the list when they started that process. And he said about McTavish that when he walks into a room, the room just gets brighter. The knowledge is for Stanley Cups, coaching, managing, being in every aspect of the game. It's going to be someone everyone's going to enjoy working with. So for those who may not know, McTavish, who has played in two NHL seasons here with the Blues, 95-97. He brings over 10 years of coaching experience here to the staff. So um, I do think that the addition of Craig Metavish is going to be very well received. It'll just depend, will he and Barube mix well? Will they complement here one another? And I'm of the notion that he will, but we'll see. I agree. I think he's joining an established staff. Like I said earlier, Van Ryan and 
and Steve Ott and Montgomery last season, I would argue they were a top five coaching staff in the league. Mm -hmm. Um, And you lose Montgomery, which, you know, obviously I'm going to Boston. That's great for Boston. It's great for him. We wish him nothing but the best. I wrote my article that's coming out on Monday, Blues Weekly article that you can't say enough great things for how Montgomery handled himself and how he was in St. Louis. He ran the power play. The Blues had the second best power play in the regular season. Last year, that was after losing a guy who they had as a power play specialist the year before with Mike Hoffman. Um, so Montgomery was great here and uh, definitely wish him nothing but the absolute best. And the McTavish pickup makes sense. This is a guy that's been pretty much involved in hockey at every level. He was a player. He was a coach for Edmonton for eight seasons. Then he was in Edmonton's front office. And then he was a broadcaster. And then he coached in the American Hockey League for Chicago. He coached in the KHL. So he's pretty much been every single place you could be. And this will be his first time behind an NHL bench in 13 years. So I think this is a great hire. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think the philosophies line up very well. If McTavish is the same way that he's really always been in terms of whether it was coaching or broadcasting or playing, um, I think that this will be a great fit. And I think they made the right choice. I don't really think there was much of another choice unless you had, you know, a recent head coach who Baruby knew or would have made more sense. But, uh, yeah, this, I think this makes all the sense in the world, and I think it'll work out uh, quite well. Yeah. So uh, let's go to the next and the final thing on the Blues updates. Yeah, the last final thing here that Armstrong um, let everybody know here was that prospect Zach Balduke also had minor injury here left over from his junior season. That's why he was, quote, sent back after being assigned here to the Springfield Thunderbirds for the playoffs, and he didn't get into any sort of Calder Cup games. The Blues didn't want to risk it, and reasonably so. He is one of your top prospects here at this point. You don't want to be able to further injure, um, cause further injury here to him. So, um, you know, he's just going to have minor surgery here at this point. I don't know if he's going to be ready for the prospect training camp. It would not surprise me if he's not at least – he could be there, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's not playing really like here at all. Um, so I'll be interested to see what he would look like if he is invited to the actual NHL training camp here as well. Yeah. And uh, speaking of which, it did stink to see the T-Birds go down the way that they did. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate, but Chicago is a very veteran team. Good goaltending kind of took control of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but Great season for the Thunderbirds, lots to build on. I think that they'll be good again next season. And this was definitely the right move to not have Bull Duke go in there because you know how playoff games can get. And uh, I think, you know, sending him back was was the right move. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think him being at training camp makes sense. I think that could happen this year and see where he's at. I think that would make a ton of sense to figure that out, especially since he was drafted last year. You get him in there this year, kind of get him acclimated. He's obviously not going to play for the blues this year, but this would be, I think a a strong move if he's healthy to have him in training camp. Yeah, absolutely. And especially a guy who's a volume shooter here, like Paul Duke, he could be with the blues sooner than later, but just like Jake neighbors, he needs to be at least in the top nine forward lines as as opposed to like a bottom six, you know, like a checking role or something. I think his, promise is going to be something of an of a more of an offensive side rather than a defensive side here of things but um somebody like Bull Duke is somebody to be really excited about here moving forward 
Yep, no doubt about it. All right, let's get into the final segment of the show, which is the NHL draft, which is coming up on July 7th and the 8th. Thursday. Uh, Thursday, Friday draft this year, which I think is great for the league. I'm assuming it'll be on ESPN in the States. I don't really know why it wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but this will be very fun to watch as the uh, Blues have the 23rd pick in the first round. And then they have a few other picks after that, of course, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, I believe. Mm-hmm. Picks in all rounds except for the second and the seventh. So we're going to go over a few players that we think could make sense at 23. Um, I will just start with mine here. The first one that I have is Seamus Casey, who is a U.S. National Development Program player, defenseman, committed to Michigan. Quality, undersized defenseman, uh, 5'10", 170, two-way defender. He has the defensive ability of a bigger player, and he's quality, solid on the offensive end. Grows into the body a little bit more, uh, becomes even stronger as a two-way player, especially when playing at Michigan, which is kind of becoming a, a big program in hockey. Look at the team they had last season, even though they didn't get it done and win at all. They were loaded last season with the likes of Owen Power and Matty Beneers, and they were stacked last season. So him going there I think is great. I think he can make a lot of sense for the Blues at 23. Uh, the second one is Yager Ferkus from mm-hmm. the Moose Jaw Warriors in the WHL. Great name, great shot, uh, likely to project as a top six forward. I don't think I see him being there at 23, but the beauty of the NHL draft is you never really know. So I think that's a good pick. He'll play the right side probably in terms of a wing. Uh, Then the other one will be a left winger in Isaac Howard, another U.S. National Development Program player committed to Minnesota Duluth. Uh, He is about as good of a goal-scoring talent in the middle of the first round as you're going to find. And I think he has the ability to be a playmaker as well. I think he's got some of the best well-rounded and overall offensive talents of any player in this draft in the first round especially and he would be a great pick at 23, I think. Um, and going to Minnesota Duluth should be good for him as well to develop. Obviously, Scott Perunovich was a stud there. Different position, different player, but another Blues prospect that, that has come through the ranks and looked good when getting the chance, of course. Uh, and the fourth one I wrote is uh, Leon Bischel, who is from uh, the Swedish Hockey League. Uh, big body defenseman, 6'5", 225, potentially elite defensive defenseman at the next level. But I think it could be a tough sell at 23 with the value. But I think a lot of Blues fans have brought him up in conversations I've seen that they like him. Uh, But I think it's kind of a tough sell for me at 23. He's pretty much just a defensive guy at this point. I think he could develop a little bit more. But I think you got some potential there with him and Pareko if they played together down the road with that big of a duo, kind of a duo that you can't get by. Like if Pareko is what he was a few years ago, that's a guy you can't really get around unless it's like McDavid, which is just mm-hmm. a different world. But uh, they can get him. I think he'd be great next to Pareko if he develops properly and Pareko returns to what he is or has been. But it's kind of a tough sell for me at 23 with uh, with Lee and Bischel. So I don't know. Well, and to your point here about size, as we saw in the playoffs, you don't need size really built to stop a guy like Connor McDavid when, I mean, again, Kel McCarr is the exception to the rule here, but when Kel McCarr can backskate enough to be able to stop a guy like Colt, well, to be able to stop a guy like Connor McDavid, there's ways to be able to stop him without being big. Granted, size really helps, but you have to be able to be quick 
here as, at that point in time too. So, um, so I've got a couple guys here as well. And like we were talking about here before the podcast was there is so, there's so much volatility within all of these draft projections, you know, Leon Bischel, he's, he's all over the place here as far as his projections, you know, 35, 24, 19, 33, 47, not even in the top three rounds. It's he's just all over the place. And that's a number of these guys where they're just bouncing all up and down the first and second rounds that, you know, this is, I think what the draft class that has been the most affected by COVID they lost an entire year here at this point, had a shortened season. And, and it's just, you have no idea about some of these guys. And so somewhat drafting them, it's, it's almost just like just blind guessing. You have, you have a lot to go based off of, but there's also not enough at the same point in time too, which is where I think choosing even some of the guys that we were picking here at, you know, I like Liam Bischel, but I'm also skeptical here about him. You, you, you just don't know. You know, I like a guy, defenseman Owen Pickering. He's a left-handed defenseman, 6'4", 180 pounds. He's got good size, good speed. Often he was leaving the team here in the defensive exits. Entries transitioning play here into the offensive end. I really like him, but at the same point in time, he's a little bit more limited. Is he going to be like a top four? His his offensive ability is a little bit more. Again, it's it's limited. Nine goals, thirty three points here in sixty two games in the WHL sounds good, but do you want to be able to spend a first round draft pick on him? A guy like Rucker McGrory in his left wing, who's a left wing could be a lot better of an option. You know, he has been again, all over the place at where did I see him? 27, 22, 23, 16, 20, just all over the place. And for the blues, I think left wing makes a lot of sense because as of right now, you've got Jake neighbors and that's about it. If you look down their depth chart, that's about it. And so he may not fall to 23, but boy, oh boy, would he be, I'd be running up to the board. I think if McGrory was available here at 23, he's well-rounded, slick hands. He's got a heavy shot, good size here too at 6'1", 205, and he competes hard. He's projected to be a top six foot scorer here in the NHL. He served as a captain here to his team, but his versatility made him so valuable to his coaching staff. He can play any single forward position. So what, what is there not to love about a guy here like this? You know, the only thing that's really holding him back from not being a top five to top 10, in my opinion here, is his inability to beat defenders one-on-one here with his speed. So his limitations as a skater do hold him back in his effectiveness here in transition, forcing him to be able to play more of a grinding, slower pace. So does this transition well into the NHL? Does it transition well here as a top six? Does it transition well here as a, as a first round pick? You just, you don't know. So that's where even a guy like centerman Yuri Kulich, he probably boosted his draft pick, his draft rank higher than anybody else here within this top, um, within this top class. He is well-built at 5'11", 180 pounds. Again, he's a centerman, which would pan out, you know, decent size here for a centerman. You know, you like him to be a little bit taller at that point, but you know, not too bad. 
He is nine goals and 11 points over six games. Saw him name the tournaments, I'm sorry, the U18 Worlds Tournament um, here MVP despite coming up short here for a medal. His key asset is that he has a very heavy and accurate one-timer, which I would take that all day, every day. But on top of that, he can let it rip and goaltenders seem to have problems finding it, including with his wrist shot here as well. So a guy like him, I would love to be able to take. And as my final one, another centerman here, Philip Messar, a little bit shorter here on center at 5'9", 175 pounds. Give this guy a, a, a cheeseburger or something like that here at this point. He could be a third Slovakian player to be taken here in the third in the first round. I wouldn't be surprised to see him drop a little bit in the, like in the second round, be a high second round pick here at that, but he could be the third Slovak to be taken here. His bread and butter is a smooth skating, strong play, playmaking ability here at this. So I give me a guy who's a good, good playmaker, a guy like a Robert Thomas who can just be able to feed these guys just over and over and over again, you know, I don't care if he's a little bit shorter. We have seen that short guys, especially quick ones, can really be able to make it very, very well and succeed very well here in the NHL, especially as the game is transitioning to faster, faster paces. So when he has the puck, he is always, always, always has his eyes up, scanning the eyes for open teammates and a lane to feed the puck through. So all in all, if you want to be able to kind of recap the, the TDLR, um, at this point, the Blues are going to have options. I could see every single one of these players that you and I, Ethan, that we laid out available, but I could see every single one of these guys for whatever reason being taken, and none of them are available. So it's this draft is going to be super, super interesting here um, for the Blues come Thursday night. I have a feeling they're not going to take any of these guys uh, just because that's usually how these things go. Yeah, they're we're, gonna we're going to be way off. They're going to end up off. taking, you know, somebody who – most people view as like a middle of the second round guy. They're just going to take him in the first. I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. We'll see how the central scouting rankings affect this because I think there's some guys that GMs view higher than, than those rankings or the, the media does as well. Uh, you never know what's going to happen with that. Uh, but let's finish this off here with you look at the third and the fourth round of the Blues. Uh, the third round pick is 88 and the fourth round pick is 120. So I got three guys from my articles, target pieces. And I, I, I got to be honest, I'm just – I'm not enthralled with with some of these defensemen in the middle rounds. I'm not impressed yeah. by, like, any of them. So I think if you're going to get a defenseman, you got to take one of the upper-tier guys that's available at 23. That's where I'm like, if you're going to take a defenseman in this draft, you take Bishel if he's there at 23 just because of that. Because I think the middle-round defenseman, for me, from what I looked at, for what could be available for the Blues – does not impress me in the third round. It's a little bit different than what's been mm. the last few years. Pickering, if he's there, you take him. Casey, if he's there, you take him. I think that that's how you got to view this right now from the defensive perspective. So in the third round, I wrote Matthew Ward, who's a center from the Swift Current Broncos. And Ian Kennedy of the Hockey News said this of him. Uh, he is a small player with big talent at five foot eight. Ward oozes competitiveness and never plays small, calm with the puck. His hockey IQ and vision allow him to find success beyond his stature. He is dynamic, and that alone will earn Ward a shot at the NHL someday. That sounds like a Blues player to me. Um, I think that would be a great, great acquisition. Now, the size probably scares them a little bit, uh, 
the Blues aren't really the type of team that takes those smaller players unless the talent is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of an example of that off the top of my head per se in the middle rounds over the last few years, except um, there is some guys that they have done that with, but the talent's got to be there. And I think for a guy like Matthew Ward, it is there. Um, but you do have to worry about that size a little bit uh, in terms of what is he going to like, what's the ceiling there when you're five foot eight? I mean, if you can't score a ton, I think that's where you're a little bit concerned about what he could project as, but uh, I'm not too worried about that overall. I think that'd be a, a great selection um, at 88. Another one is Servak Petrovsky, who's a center from the, it's by Servak, by the way, Petrovsky, if I had to guess, uh, center from the Owen Sound Attack, the OHL. Don't see him falling here, but he's one of the better Slovak prospects in this draft. Uh, the quote here is from Dale DeGray, who is the Owen Sound Attack general manager, smooth skating high school forward who has always done extremely well against his peer group and same age. He will bring an offensive flair to his game. So I think that will be a great pickup if he's actually there. I don't see it, though. Uh, Peter Baracini's ranking in May has him 95th. So 120 is going to be a hard spot or uh, I guess 88 or 120 could be a hard spot to get him. Um, Cause I think teams are going to like him more than the, than a lot of the media does. Other than the defenseman I wrote down was Ludwig Jan- uh, Jansen, Jansen, whatever. I, 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 I don't like him that much to be honest. Um, smooth skating defender, strong two way game, dynamic skater. He was so bad in the, uh, in uh, the hockey all Sven scan or whatever it's called which that's not a high tier league in Sweden. It's the second tier. The, the Swedish hockey league is the first tier. The team that he was on was really bad, but he also was not good. So that scares me a lot. So I don't love that guy in terms of a, a pick there, but I wrote him down anyway to have a defenseman there. Then for the fourth round, Cole Spicer, a winger from uh, the U.S. National Development Program, uh, grew into his game a ton. Uh, the quote is he plays an energetic yet responsible two-way game despite his small stature. He competes hard and gets into the dirty areas around the opposing net, shows good vision with the ability to make quick decisions in the offensive zone. And though he may not be the flashiest playmaker, he consistently makes a smart read to string plays together and sustain possessions for his team. He will probably never be the main offensive driver on his line, but he has the hockey IQ to be a strong complementary piece alongside skilled players. A lot of that sounds like a blues player to me. So that makes sense. Uh, yeah. The next one is, yeah, that's true. Uh, Zam Plant or Plante or Planty, one of the three pronunciations probably. Uh, just out. kind of a, uh, a hockey player of the year, dominant in high school, Hermantown High School, 64 points, 22 games. So that seems good, even though it is high school hockey. Uh, his Hockey's in his blood, though. His, uh, his father – Played eight seasons in the NHL. His grandfather was a legendary hockey coach in Hermantown, Minnesota. Uh, the quote from Roger Grillo or Grillo, one of the two, under eighteen, uh, under eighteen team USA general manager. Zam is a really from is it Zom or Zam? I mean, it's kind of what, what are these names, people? Uh, he plays the game with a lot of creativity. He sees the ice and he makes other players better. He plays with pace. And the most impressive thing about him is that he has high-end skill level, but also competes consistently. That will help our team, and it bodes well for him in the future. 
Blues player, another one. I, I think you, I, I think you could buy almost anything about a player. I say that's a Blues player, but whatever. I'm just, I don't know. Uh, and then the other one is Philip Nordberg, defenseman. Once again, not that impressed with these defensemen, so I'm not even going to talk about him. We'll see. Uh, he's 52nd on the Central Scouting ranking in Europe, so maybe he'll be there at 120. Maybe he won't. All I know is the Blues have five picks in this draft. And here's a rapid fire question before we wrap this up: Will the Blues? trade one of these picks or make a trade the day before the day of, or the day after the draft. No, I, I think they're going to hold on to every single one of their picks. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I think the exception would be one of the defensemen being traded, but I think unless something quickly changes, I feel like that's probably a early free agency or pre free agency situation in terms of that deal or a deal mm-hmm. being made there. Mm-hmm. The good thing is, like I said, with the salary cap in the offseason, you can make this trade and then find a trade for Scandella. Um, because I don't think you, you, I don't think there's really a point in using Scandella in a Chikrin trade or a Provorov trade or a Sanheim trade. Cause like you said, a couple podcasts ago, he does have that no team uh, trade clause. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's going to limit the blues on what they're able to do. So now I believe does the I believe the player has to submit that at a certain date. So the Blues probably have that. Mm-hmm. The big question is, is a team like Philadelphia on there? Because I think Chuck Fletcher probably thinks Marco Scandella is like the next Ray Bork. So he's thinking he's the bee's knees. So he's, I feel it. like you might be able to trick him into thinking <laughs> that Scandella is good. Because yeah. I mean, if Buffalo was able to trick him into thinking Ristolainen was good. I think you can almost do anything, uh, especially Buffalo. That is something. So I, I feel like we've probably – I don't know if we've gone – I don't know if – it's really just me. I don't know if I've gone too far against Chuck Fletcher. I, I wonder if any Flyers fans listen to this and agree with me. If you do, you should tweet us or uh, leave a rating. I mean, nothing against the Flyers here, just their GM's terrible. So, But they will be yeah, a team I, to watch with Tortorella's antics next season. I I still understand how Tortorella has a job in the NHL. I get it. I do. I get it. He was hired by the most incompetent GM in the sport. Yeah. A GM that has made some of the most just ridiculous moves um, in the league. Like, it's just, it's absurd Mm -hmm. how bad some of these moves have been. Like, Kevin Hayes, I like him a lot. Seems like a great guy has had a solid career, but that contract is absurd. Right. Um, it's just, it's really something how many ridiculous, that's just kind of when you're desperate, I guess that's what happens, but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, giving, giving Ristolainen a, uh, a five-year deal is a tough move at 5.1 mil. That's going to be a tough one. So we'll see if the, the blues make any deals with the flyers. That'll be interesting to see if they do. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but uh, we'll see. So, We'll be back uh, this week. We will be back talking about the draft. We got some plans to do some stuff in and around the draft. So we got all that coming up. And then free agency preview at the end of next week, at the end of this week, I guess. Uh, the 10th, probably the, the date on that one. That we'll record. It'll probably be uploaded on the 11th. But uh, lots coming. Big free agency. Big summer ahead in the NHL. So uh, I think that's it for us in this one. We'll see you on the next episode of the blue note podcast episode 14 coming next on the believe network make sure to follow 
and subscribe, all that good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Ethan Carter SW. You can follow Mike on Twitter at at Danger Powers 19. And we'll see everybody next time on the Blue Note Podcast. We'll see you next time for episode 14. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.